Hey everyone, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 525, being recorded December 12th, 2018. I'm your host, Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peake. I'm Alan Malventano. And I'm Ken Addison. Like, there's more people. Too many people. Everyone's here. No, there isn't. Too many hosts. The culling will come soon. And Mm. has been foretold. (laughs) And see, you're going to want to go to PCPro.com slash subscribe to sign up for our newsletter because you'll want to be watching live. Because if you were watching live, you missed a very interesting discussion about all things William Shatner, Tech War, old PC sound interfaces, and laser discs. And you'll never get that back if you didn't see it live. We'll never so get head that over back to PCPro.com slash subscribe to be notified when we go live. It's a plain text email. We send it out just to let you know when we're going, although we forgot to do it this week. Ken reminded me. So, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. It only has one secret link in there, and I wonder where it goes to. The only one way to find button. out. <laughs> <laughs> it's you- hidden in a pixel in the email. Is it? I guess it's for. Mm, I don't know. Is it? Uh, Yeah. We don't. Well, uh, trust us. We are not sophisticated enough to take advantage of that information. God no. Uh, But you can also head on over to Patreon.com/slash PCPer, where uh, you can help us help support us and uh, help do what we do here. Um, The tradition is back. If you raise or if you become a new patron or raise your pledge during the live taping, I will get an email. And uh, edit your name if you want to. I'll just read your name otherwise. But edit your name field before you make the pledge, and I will read whatever uh, you put in there, however horrifying or embarrassing, with the only caveat being I won't say it if it will if it'll get me arrested to say it. That's a pretty good – My voice is my point. passport. There you go. Verify me. <laughs> right. What if it just, like, ruins your marriage? Would you say that? Yeah, that's fine. That's benefit. Okay. Wow. She's going to wow. leave me anyway. It's okay. She can do so much better. Um <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> All right. Escalated quickly. Yeah. Uh, so you can also uh, check out our mailbag. We haven't had one in a while. Alan has recorded one. I have yet to edit it, though. Mm. Um, so that's it's pending. Nice I will job, get that Alan. I, tr- I tried. I tried. And uploaded probably by Friday. Uh, so check for that Friday morning. And you can head over to joshtech.com. That's joshtech, T-E-K-K, to well, take yeah. advantage of our year-end blowout sale. Well, 15%, we should probably call it something other yeah, than that. Fifteen percent off if you use product code. What was it again, Josh? Josh Tech, Tech, Tech fifteen. Josh fifteen, and you can pick up some cool merchandise. Get something for the holidays. Get something for yourself. Save a little money. And we've, as Kenneth told us, uh, sales are skyrocketing yeah. with the code. It's true. So Get don't in. miss out. Get in there while supplies last. Well, supplies last. <laughs> Shush you. Just in time, manufactured products. I mean, I guess you could. They could run out of blank mugs. So, you know. mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. There's a limited amount of mugs in the universe. Yeah, yeah. I don't check out. You, but okay. <laughs> checks out. All right, uh, let's move into the show. Here we've got a couple reviews. Uh, first up is a uh, quick look that uh, Ken took at the new AMD Radeon Pro WX8200, which is a Vega-based. Pro slash, it's not their Fire Pro, but it's between. No, Fire Pro doesn't exist. Anymore. Oh, that's right. So it's killed. So this is yeah. like the replacement for Fire Pro. Exactly. It's their Pro Workstation kind of card series. Yeah. So in the past couple of years, the whole professional graphics area has gotten kind of a bit interesting and a little gray. You've had the release of NVIDIA's Titan cards, which are were at least initially aimed at a sort of prosumer level, someone who would do like professional graphics light 
like might do the stuff on the side wanted the additional gpu horsepower but uh didn't buy a full quadro and nvidia is kind of prompt like uh built on that and they've started introducing some of the professional application optimizations into the geforce driver only for titan cards so kind of get a little bump there and then at the vega launch we saw the vega the arc the radeon vega frontier edition sort of the same thing kind of aimed at this mid-ground prosumer market and can use the full professional graphics driver stack that kind of leaves us with the highest end of the option, uh, highest end options on the market, which are Quadro and Radeon Pro, as we're taking a look at here today. So the main differences here, this is a Vegas 56 GPU, bog standard. However, it has ECC memory, mm-hmm. which becomes very important for the pro market, just sort of for, I know, I guess, I guess you'd say stability, right? I mean... It's, it's kind of difficult to guaranteed. quantify what ECC memory is. I mean, it's, it's doing error correction yeah. and error checking, but kind of what that results in. If you're working on a 100-hour render, it could be the difference between maybe it succeeding in, or crashing halfway through as some asset yeah. you're working on might get corrupted in the memory. Or, or if you're doing lengthy, detailed calculations and you Absolutely. want to ensure that what you end up with is as accurate as possible without any errors introduced from memory. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the biggest feature here, which is interesting. You can get a Radeon Frontier Edition and use the Pro drivers or the gaming drivers. Uh, so it's become an odd market, professional graphics. However, there are still plenty of professionals who absolutely pay for these products and need these products because they make a living off of them. Mm-hmm. They need the absolute stability. They need the driver optimizations for performance and stability. They need, you know, that whole sub pixel uh, per precision that these things typically have enabled by drivers you know yeah the most interesting thing here is that this is a thousand dollar professional graphics card which is not something you see a whole lot uh if you look at the closest competitors hey that's less than a 2080 ti yeah yep you look at the quadro uh p4000 p5000 which are last generation cards they're based on the 1070 and 1080 uh, respectively, for the most part, although with ECC and memory, and the P four thousand comes in at seven fifty, and the P five thousand is uh, eighteen hundred dollars. So there's a massive gap there. So AMD has a lot of room to make up to kind of slide in there with this new WX series line. There's also the ninety one hundred, I think, which is based on Vega sixty four, which is I believe still less than the Quadro P five thousand. So AMD has the real opportunity to just kind of slide in and kind of get the lower well not even lower end because if you compare the performance of a vega 56 to a 1070 you're probably going to want a vega 56 for a lot of this stuff especially with the hbm memory and you're dealing we can look at some of the performance numbers uh, and down here. also another reason to buy it is because it's a sexy card it is a surprisingly sexy professional graphics card yeah. it has a hey cast... look at all those mini dp ports yeah Ooh. that's kind of the one gripe i have is you have to find adapters to plug into really anything with this but yeah look at the hey, additional you know what? Ventilation amazon sells get. mini dp to dp although the, the, cables there, there, there for was... like five bucks a pop yeah, yeah. there was one commenter who pointed out uh that with displayport like if you, if you let's say you put an hdmi in there you put an hdmi let's in there, say you're getting it. hdmi sure okay hey hey hey, hey. In, let's say let's 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 put an hdmi port in there okay yes let's okay put an now HDMI i'm waiting for you because we've said that okay thank you josh all right go ahead <laughs> the, the point is mini display port or, or display port 
is going to give you the range of whatever. You do have to use the adapters, but you can get anything you want out of there. You can get the video only, video and audio. Yeah, it's true. Resolutions. It, it is the most versatile yeah. port. It makes sense to put it on there. It's the most compact and versatile port. So I, I could see why they did it. And they also, like, to be honest, they were doing that for years with Fire Pro cards too. So if you're mm-hmm. following the upgrade path, you wouldn't have any problem. It's just, you know, something you might forget about when you order this card and you unbox it and you go, damn it. Yeah. I have nothing to plug this into. Uh, again, a, a small aside. Uh, one of the more interesting things is that it uses a six or an eight plus six power design, or eight, eight pin plus six pin connectors, whereas the full Vega fifty six uh, RX Vega fifty six uses two eight pins. Yeah, and it's on the back too, so it's good yeah, for cable it's routing. it's on the back for cable routing, and honestly, it's like the ability to slap one of these in a server. Yeah, because that's where you'd want the cables coming out instead of the top on like. Is that cards. work for the RGBs? No, no RGB. I think that's a sync port to sync, synchronize so. the output output between two of these. All right. So how's it perform? Uh, you know, not. There are no surprises here, really. Uh, if you look at, we're looking at SpecView Perf thirteen right now, which is a benchmark which goes through a litany of professional applications. We're talking stuff like SolidWorks, Siemens NX. Katia, Maya, Autodesk Showcase, 3ds Max, a lot of these applications that goes through these specific workloads, and you start to see some differences here. There are applications like uh, SolidWorks, NX, and Katia that use that have these optimized code path in the professional drivers. So you see the Quadro, the Titan XP, and the Radeon Pro walk all over the more powerful RTX 2080. Mm-hmm. That. That's an interesting point there. However, if you start to look at applications that are just using DirectX, like Maya, Autodesk, Autodesk Showcase, and 3ds Max, the Vega card kind of gets put back into its rel- relative position. Right, the Vega 56 is a lower end GPU than is found in the Quadro P5000. Yeah, for the most part. Right, it's I mean a Vega 56 versus a 1080 class GPU. You, you're going to have some trade offs, but for the most part. The 1080 will be more but powerful. Also, in this particular instance, the memory advantage for Quadro, 16 versus 8. Yes, there's the memory advantage. The Fire or the Radeon Pro does have a memory bandwidth uh, advantage, which if you scroll down to some of the other benchmarks, I think we start to see. So if you look at Luxmark, which is a purely OpenCL benchmark, you see the Radeon Pro kind of walks all over the P5000. Now, that being said, NVIDIA cards generally don't have great OpenCL performance. The drivers aren't very well optimized. They want you to use CUDA instead. But if you're using OpenCL workloads, you can see a major difference here between the $1,800 Quadro P5000 and the $1,000 Radeon Pro option. Yeah. Uh, We took a look at uh, Revit. We've been testing this in our CPU benchmarks and seeing a decent amount of uh, variance between CPUs. It seems like GPUs, there isn't a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. for the most part, Vega, the uh, Radeon Pro, lost these tests, except for the standard view where it kind of came ahead of the Titan XP by a little bit. But pretty close margins if you're using Revit, not really GPU dependent, unless you're doing something like rendering with V-Ray on a GPU specifically, which you would kind of know what you'd want at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, if we look at Blender, we once again see the Radeon Pro card kind of beat out the Quadro P5000 and actually come pretty close to a Titan XP, which I think is very impressive. This might point to the Cycles renderer, which Blender uses by default, as having a better, more optimized OpenCL code path than CUDA. A lot of this stuff is application independent. 
I mean, it's not a whole lot you can do about it. You could have the more powerful GPU option, but not see an advantage in some applications. And the last test we did was actually Blender again using the Radeon Pro Render uh, plugin, which is a physics-based renderer that AMD has kind of been pushing. And interestingly enough, AMD loses this test. Mm. I can't can't really qu- quantify why it happens. There are some. I mean, if you look at how the Quadro P five thousand and the Titan XP are very close, I don't know. I don't know what to, I don't know what to think about this one. But we we ran it several times and kind of dug through and that's what we found but in general i think for thousand dollars this is actually a pretty good value if you're someone who's maybe dipping your toe into animation or professional graphics like if someone like scott who writes for us who has a a full day job programming but on the side he does a lot of animation stuff in blender like it only takes a couple of side projects that you might start to get paid for to where you might justify one of these cards over having a GeForce or a RX Vega card. Yeah. As soon as you start to make a little money, it could very well bring you to kind of picking up one of these lower-end professional graphics cards just for the stability and maybe additional performance you get from the Pro Graphics driver mm-hmm. stack. So it's it's an interesting product. Uh, came away pretty positive. Again, you kind of know if you're looking for something like this. But I don't know what I'm looking for. Yeah, me neither. Just like you too. <laughs> I still haven't found. Well, they knew what they were looking for. They just hadn't found it. Yeah. Oh. There's a difference. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, they're they're like seven steps ahead of me. That's all right. And and many decimal points of uh-huh. a bank account <laughs> above decimal points. Worried about. I guess they are Met. European. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, well, that's the uh, the Radeon uh, Pro WX8200, and there is a range there. That's the mid-range, I think. You said there was a higher one and a lower one? Behind, yeah, behind I believe that. so. So $1,000 for uh, an interesting entry-level-ish Pro graphics card. Yeah, and actually, let me look real quick. Yeah, the WX9100, the Vegas 64 option, I believe, is 1350 Okay. So if you're interested in this and need a little more horsepower. And actually, one of the things that... <clears throat> Uh, we'll hit on a little bit later is if you use a Mac, mm-hmm. if you use a Mac, this would be a great option Yeah, because you have built-in v- native Vega support in Mac OS now. And as mm-hmm. we'll talk about later, you can see massive performance increases by throwing a Vega 56 or Vega 64 at Mac. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, no, let's continue on. Uh, next, we've got some news here from uh, Intel that had their architecture day. This week, and uh, so bad. We, we were not able to cover that. Ken was invited uh, to go out, but he wasn't able to make it into the travel schedule. So yeah. um, we we got the uh, the news here, and uh, Sebastian was able to to take a look at Intel's materials and write it up for us. So why don't you tell us what they got? Uh, I over did. Intel. Well, it was a big architecture day, as you can see if you look at the article. It wasn't just one announcement, and the headliner was 3D stacking, which in and of itself is pretty fascinating. We could talk about at length, I'm sure, but not only did they introduce 3D stacking for logic chips for the first time, which has some exciting possibilities, but they also introduced an entirely new core architecture for desktop and server. They had an event back in August, I think, t- discussing like the future of server and showing the Xeon roadmap through 2020. Yeah, This kind of revises things because... 
depending on which source you're looking at and which slide you're looking at, it basically looks like they've revised their architecture roadmap going forward. And this new Sunny Cove basically gives a name to the transition to 10 nanometer, though that was not in any of the official materials I saw or the press release. So in poking around online, uh, other outlets are reporting it as 10 nanometer. I don't see any official Intel information saying that that is. I wonder if they're just not stressing that because of the delay to 10 nanometer. Yeah, and it seems like that would be the bit the big news. They, I mean, 10 nanometer is the basis of the new 3D stacking, but I, I, I believe it will be a 10 nanometer CPU. Yeah, we we can confirm that that Intel did not explicitly state 10 nanometer in their press materials regarding this event. Yeah, in the in the press release, it but was, people wasn't there. Me, other media, a certain doctor suggested well, it. Well, it was yeah. So uh, Peter Bright over at Ars Technica, and then a number of other uh, outlets who had people on site, all stated explicitly in their coverage without any qualifications that this is 10 nanometer, and um, and that's what we're able to determine now. I wonder too, are they will it all be 10 nanometer? Because we know they're shipping like pseudo 10 nanometer in the Canon Lake parts that they've supplied to certain like Lenovo, certain OEMs. But Intel's sort of already there. Is there going to be is, – is this not – is this new platform going to not entirely be 10 nanometer or real 10 nanometer? Well, and maybe that's why they're, they're holding out. Given what the, is real yeah. 10 nanometer? Given what they're announcing yeah. here and kind of the ability to mix and match stuff, I, I think that's the case. I don't think it will all be 10 nanometer, mm-hmm. but I think the Sunny Cove CPU core portion of it probably will be. Yeah, okay, sure. But I think some of the other stuff probably won't be. Yeah, and, and like other, we saw with AMD and their I.O. controller. The other uh, wrinkle here, uh, as Special mentioned also, the third part of this was that they mentioned graphics. And in their graphics, uh, integrated graphics piece, they mentioned yes. that their new Gen 11 graphics will be shipping in 2019 at, with 10 nanometer capable parts. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, integrated mm-hmm. into 10 nanometer capable parts. So uh, I didn't mean to jump. The so something there, to, to oh, take fine. from this. And it's one of the things that they really talked about is design previously was so hand in hand with manufacturing that even if they had a great design on a manufacturing platform that just didn't work, they weren't able to transfer that design to and the older process technology or somebody else's very easily. And so they're working to make these designs more portable in that Whatever is the best process technology out there, they will do their best to leverage it with the designs. And so instead of you know being locked in with, okay, this is 10 nanometer, where you expect 10 man- nanometer in three years, and uh, you know five years later, their 10 nanometer is not working as they expected. And so all that design work that was aimed for that process tech, I mean, it it was kind of wasted, mm-hmm. and so this is one of the new things that they're they're really pushing with a lot of the new people coming in there. Is like we've got to be more flexible. We have got to be able to put out these new products on whatever process is available. If we're not, if we're not up to spec, yeah. I mean, whether that's using TSMC, Samsung, Global Foundries. <laughs> anyway. Um, they're going to try to do that, and they're going to have their design methodology changed 
so that they can actually leverage other process technologies in a far simpler manner than what we had previously done. I mean, for just, you know, decades, Intel's engineering, CPU design worked very, very closely with manufacturing. And really up until this point, I mean, certainly there were hiccups in the past. I mean, like Prescott and 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 other areas where they 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 had you know mistakes happen um it's worked out really really well because they've had a treasure chest of money to to address their process issues and development and research and this 10 nanometer is i mean it's something brand new and and terrible for them and and we've seen the fallout from this with the products that they're currently offering the the amount of uh you know scrambling to get stuff out that is competitive with what AMD is releasing at 14 at 12 and now upcoming next year in in the seven nanometer, they had to make a change. And uh, this is really kind of be kind of interesting. I think 2019 is going to be rough for Intel, but 2020 is going to be turning things around with, with what they have shown us with the roadmaps and what they've discussed with the, the Intel tech day that, uh, that we had here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to what Sebastian said earlier about how they talked about Intel talked about the Xeon roadmap, uh, back over the summer. I think that is still intact because as we generally see Xeon and core don't really go lockstep in microarchitectures. I mean, they've all caught up now because of kind of the massive bottleneck, but looking at that roadmap, they showed, they showed cascade Lake shipping now, essentially Q4 2018, and Cooper Lake still built on 14 nanometer nanometer in 2019, which would be a sort of pin compatible platform swappable to Ice Lake in early 2020 at, on 10. So I think that's probably still in place. And, but this is this uh, Sunny Cove stuff that was announced uh, yesterday today. It's kind of a different part of the market. If I had to take a guess. Mm-hmm. One fascinating aspect of Sunny Cove, and we're assuming Sunny Cove is where Gen 11 graphics will first ship, but I think that was just sort of assumed based on the timing and the roadmaps of graphics. But they didn't really go into architecture of the GPU uh, in any great detail. They showed this really nice-looking 3D block diagram. (laughs) Yeah. And they talked about some of the features, but... The exciting thing for anybody who basically has to use Intel integrated graphics or, you know, in the past, it's been uh, not exactly like, you know, a gaming platform. But here we're talking about what they're they're calling a 2x improvement in performance. We're jumping all the way from 24 execution units to 64 execution units. And uh, apparently there's some more dedicated um cache memory involved so and this is a tile based rendering we have an implementation of uh variable refresh support intel adaptive sync yep so depending on how this is implemented like you could have smaller devices that are now capable of producing completely playable frame rates for games in conjunction with a display that supports uh, variable refresh you could have something that was very yeah uh, kind of like ryzen g yeah yeah and actually yeah and this is uh, <laughs> i wonder <laughs> yeah this is their own core here 
but yeah, I mean, it's well, basically just like a, a big man, like, fat uh, version of of Gen Two. What's the name of the or Intel GT2. product with the uh, with Cabulic the uh, Cabulic G? Yeah, Cabulic G. Yeah, yeah. Let's I mean, I mean, and the the inside. But it, it's an interesting thought, Sebastian, where you could have something like an XPS thirteen, which you don't have for gaming, but if it had a little bit more powerful GPU, maybe they start to think about putting in a panel that's capable of doing adaptive sync in it. And then you could get the benefits like, like running 24 Hertz content. If you're watching movies, mm-hmm. right, you could start to see some of the additional benefits from adaptive sync on the desktop. Hey, hey want to, want to know something funny, Ken? <laughs> what? Most mobile spec panels with the mobile thing already have panel self refresh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they've, they've got adaptive sync built in. It's just not, can't drive it's it. not implemented yeah mm-hmm. be interesting they can do it but, yep. mm, but there's got to be some hardware on the gpu side yep they are promising that the, all of these improvements will, will break the teraflop performance barrier um at least their top end configuration yeah um and, and also one of the demos they had at the the uh architecture day location was video games i think it was tekken yeah, I believe so. Side by side on Gen 9, which is current Gen Intel graphics, and Gen 11. And they were saying, look at this. It's a slideshow over here. <laughs> and it's it's not 60 frames or 4K over here, yeah. but it's playable. Right? Yeah. You know, it's, or it's smooth yeah. enough to be acceptable. So, yeah. And then also, if, if you can get more game, well, this will allow NVIDIA's software team and driver teams to start prepping for their eventual discrete efforts. And get Intel's. More, or what did I say? Nvidia. Oh, sorry, Intel. Because <laughs> um, they need to in, they they need to invest in software. Yes, and I mean they have in the past year, as yeah, far as absolutely. I know, and they're continuing that. And it, if Nvidia showed us one thing with the original detonator and how much they invested <laughs> in in software and real time compilers and programmers getting into the company, software is, is it's a it's a make or break you deal. And so far, Intel has kept their head above water in, in terms of integrated graphics. Has not been great. I think that they're below AMD, below NVIDIA, but they got a lot of money and they've got a lot of cachet. Yeah. And I'll, and just uh, finishing up real quick on that discrete GPU topic, as Sebastian notes, they did not really go into much detail other than just to say we reaffirm our plans to bring something to the market by 2020. They named it. What do they name it? Oh, no, 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 they named oh, Z. Z yeah. or XE. I don't, yeah. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, Xenon. G. A couple outlets said that it was. it's pronounced XE. XE? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, X is a hard letter slash Roman numeral to pronounce in today's climate, <laughs> well, in today's Apple-influenced climate. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I heard somewhere that X is going to give it to you. So, I don't know. We'll see. Wow. Well, X is going to give it to me in exchange for $1,000 to $1,200, yes. No. All right, well, let's let's jump to the other side of the aisle here and talk about some rumors. Now, that was all based on uh, Intel's official uh, information out of their architecture day. We've got some rumors here about uh, Ryzen 3, which is Zen 2, if that's not confusing enough. Yeah. And yeah. unofficial. Hmm. They are rumors, and they are rumors uh, directly related or directly sourced to Adored TV, who is a YouTuber who is a very AMD biased person by his own admission, although he tries. He's, to, he's also a big PC per fan. Uh, he, and, he, and he has some uh, 
issues. I mean, he's with covered us this extensively, and with certain it's true. people who work. He might almost site. stalk us, and mm-hmm. uh, and some of his issues were valid. But he has sources. He has people. He's been wrong in the past. He's been right in the past. So he has this, and we can take it for what it is. Um, and and he has uh, come out with a bunch of information that the Inquirer um, kind of summarized for us here about what Ryzen three thousand series parts will bring us, and it's some pretty pretty incredible performance. If true, uh, we've got uh, at the top end, I think this is what re- people are really uh, concerned or not concerned, but uh, are questioning whether this is possible. It's, it would be the Ryzen 9 3850X at the top end. So that's eight cores and 16 th- or, I'm sorry, 16 cores and 32 threads. So you're going to like Threadripper territory. Um, and with a base clock of 4.3 gigahertz boosting to 5.1. Again, that's, mm-hmm. gonna be a, that's either going to be a single or at most two-core boost, right? I mean, it's not all core, I imagine, uh, because it's at a TDP of 135 watts and priced at, I think you said, 400 pounds is the – That is – So here's – If true, please very, give me one. very if aggressive. Yeah, if true, give me all. I yeah. would take them all. I think how the performance and – that aggressiveness of the pricing when you put them both together, that's what starts to strain the common sense test. Mm-hmm. Because, I, I, mean, I mean, AMD is in business to make money. Well, not just <laughs> I mean, they're, they're going to make hay when the sun is shining. And right uh, now, 2019 yeah. looks to be a really cloudless day for AMD. And so they are going to maximize sure. the amount of money that they can make while still being able to sell previous uh, generation 2000 series at a reasonable price and so there's there's just there's so many unknowns right now and i don't even know if if amd knows where it's going to put yeah. everything I, with the, the the products that are coming in because 7 nanometers is still evolving i mean it's they've they've had products in since summer they're they're doing revisions. They're they're working with the fab people to to increase yields, but also you know, uh, you know, stabilizing bins. And so we don't know what these chiplets are 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 doing in terms of 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 power, or TDP, and clocking. I mean, nothing. I mean, it's 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 all very in, unknown. Now we can assume that it will clock slightly better than than current twelve nanometer parts. We can assume that it will have a lower TDP for these chiplets. I mean, they're they're relatively small from what we have seen that AMD has shown us with, like, uh, the Epic uh, Rome release. And so if you were a smart guy, you could put some things together and, and put out some decent clock speeds and, and, and TDPs based on what AMD and Intel have been doing for the past five Six years. I mean, you can look at the excavator cores and how AMD has has hit like the 65 and the 95 um, TD, watt TDPs. Uh, same thing with with the Zen architecture with Zen and Zen Plus. Um, and so it's it's not out of the realm of possibilities that that these are actual things that AMD has done. But at the same time. You can be clever and say, OK, this is what they're going to do. We can do certain numbers and these things will all kind of fit because we know what to expect from not just the past, but but where we have seen like Epic and and what they've talked to us about that. So, yeah, you know, I'm I, I'm not trying to show throw shade at, at anybody, but I don't even know if again if if AMD knows where exactly everything is shaking out because it's still kind of early in in production. Um, 
yeah, I, I think mean, by it, CES we'll have a pretty good idea. Yeah. And it, we'll if we probably hear something. If we looked at the same roadmap of release in March slash April that we've seen for the past two rising generations, like this is likely stuff, especially pricing, that is not nailed down yet. Mm-hmm. God no. Right? I oh, mean no. I mean clock speeds you, you, like you're saying you might have a good you might have an idea about now, like that's that's something that depends on silicon, but like product name and price are stuff that happens pretty last minute with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And the other thing too, in in the tech industry, Wall Street is obsessed with margins. And so they're even if they want to make a push and regain market share and can still make money, I mean, they want to ensure that their product margins are healthy to keep the stock price up. When it comes to margins, you got to think of this. Okay, AMD has a new product. Okay, we can look back at Zen. The first ones, the highest end, uh, what, 1800X was a 499 product, right? Mm -hmm. And then they take a look at how much they're actually selling through versus how much they're producing. And after that point, they adjust the price downwards if they feel that they can address the market better and still make more money and still produce more stuff and still gain more market share. And so pricing is is going to be really variable. I mean, yeah, there's going to be an initial MSRP, but the company's going to be pretty fleet on its its feed. And it's going to change things up as it deems necessary due to production, due to demand, and be able to, you know, match things up so they sell the most amount of product at the best price as possible. And that's where mathematicians come in. And they won't know that data until after they put in the initial price and how much they actually sell. Yeah. Surprise and demand. (laughs) Yeah. Regardless, it'll be interesting. Like it's, yep. oh, it's yeah. going to be an exciting launch to see. It, it's it's going to be aggressive in some regard, whether it's really aggressive pricing, really aggressive performance, really aggressive core counts, or all of the above. So, and if well, and we go back to some of our older rumors, and we were seeing like uh, suggestions that we're going to see a sixty-four core one on the desktop side, which is just insane. Well, I mean, if, if this is true, and Ryzen goes to thirty-two core or thirty-two thread, right? Then where does Threadripper go? There's, I mean, there's not been, you know, even with these new leaks we're talking about, there's not been a major overhaul of Zen. It's still, what, 8-core per CCX? No, th- this is Zen 2. This is a new yeah, microarchitecture. Right, right. But so, yeah. so we're progressing through Zen to Zen 2, and we're, we're talking about Zen 3, but has there been a severe change in the architecture? Yes, this is that. Well, they yeah. added a second die. Well, we don't we don't know what Zen two is going to look like for consumers. Right? Oh, architecture. Okay. We only yeah. have an idea of what it looks like from the Epic side, and the consumer stuff could look completely different. Right. They haven't talked about that at all. Okay. Yeah, because we see all these speculations flying around. It's like, oh, we're gonna have thirty two cores, sixty four cores. It it came up with Zen two when it was still rumored, and it's like, oh, each one of these is going to be ten cores per CCX, and we're going to have twenty. Th- it comes up every time. So. I yeah. think it's going to be the same chiplets, uh, but it's going to be a different I.O. chip. Yeah. And this is well, I mean, really, the idea, right? it's, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting to see how well they can pull this off. I think they're going to do perfectly fine. And uh, the amount of flexibility they have with adding cores, adding Vega, adding eventually Navi, uh, it's, it's, it's going to give them a lot of leeway. Uh, in terms of, of production, chip design, and TDPs, because you can optimize 
I.O. for a certain process that doesn't need to run at, at four gigahertz um, that can be potentially cheaper and, and more power efficient, but still get as good a performance as if you integrated everything on one single complex die. So it's, um, you know, they're, they're, they're looking ahead. They're, they're, they're being, they've got some clever engineering and thinking going on. But then again, we, we thought that, you know, bulldozer was, was with CMT was very clever engineering and well it was clever i guess it's, you know, it's all we were alone on that. how you well, actually execute the, and the one the difference is they've got a track record now it doesn't guarantee future successes but they've they've come out and made a big statement in the last 18 months and yeah you know, they, they've got that to, to to back some of their their plans on so uh Josh, so, you think one key like thing a, that like it okay oh wait oh, go okay. ahead sebastian uh, one key thing that i haven't heard in any of these uh, rumors or presentations done is what they're looking at for memory speed. Because if they're going to continue to have the memory speed have a direct effect on the speed that the CCXs can communicate uh, between on the fabric, like if if they get a huge jump in the support for high-speed DDR4, that might actually have a bigger impact on the overall performance than just a higher uh, frequency on the cores. Mm-hmm. And I'm waiting to hear. Like, I'm very interested in it because one of the things you expect is that it's going to be compatible with the previous generation of motherboards. We're probably not going to see the Intel, here's a brand new motherboard, a brand new socket, a brand new everything. But it gives them a perfect reason to put out a new upgraded chipset and get people to buy it because you got a motherboard that can support that higher frequency RAM if they can pull it off. Yeah. Which yeah. would be neat. Sure. That's kind of what I was thinking. Is this going to be AM4 Plus? Is this going to be an AM5, some new platform okay. entirely? No, we're still going to be on the same memory standard die size. Like, do they have the, the density only, the only to actually do sixteen thirty-two? Is potentially PCI four point True. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be the same memory and, and supposedly the same socket. Yeah, I mean they've they've come out publicly when like at the Zen launch and talked about how long they're going to support the AM four socket, and we're definitely not there yet. It's still going to be AM four socket and backwards compatible. And, but whether or not you'll have gated features like PCIe 4 going to new motherboards with X570 or whatever they'd call it. Only makes it sense. to be seen. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not going to guess what that chipset's going to be named. XZ1029. <laughs> LGA1130. Well, wait a second. Straight up. <laughs> Is that the equivalent of, of betting $1 more on prices, right? I think yes. so. In, 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 in no. chipset naming. Um all right, well, if, you, uh, if you're interested in that and you want to follow that rabbit hole, uh, that's the Adored TV YouTube video on his channel. I think he put it up about a week ago. You'll be able to find it. It's- Apparently, there's an update, which we have yet to watch. Oh, is that okay. telling us? So. Yeah, well, check. you can check that out if, yeah. you, if uh, you're interested in that. Uh, moving on to the next story, we've got uh, a, a, an article here from TechSpot that Jeremy found for us uh, talking about something that I've been doing at home, which is all these crazy monitors, multi-monitor setups, just get yourself a big-ass 4K TV <laughs> as long as it meets certain criteria. You want to make sure it's got I mean, low, low latency. Two years ago, I would have thrown something at you for saying that because yeah. it would be stupid. Mm-hmm. But It's not the case anymore. Yeah, you, you, a lot of TVs are coming out now that have that correct uh, chroma subsampling and, and 4K60 mm-hmm. input uh, support and low latencies. And, and, uh, and TechSpot found a few for us here. Uh, why don't you tell us about this, Jeremy? Oh, they, they peg a couple of different levels. Uh, like the, the lower cost one is 630 bucks. Uh, well, the, there's the 380, which, you know, if, if you're desperate, 
and you're still rocking like a 720p monitor or TV, might be a good choice for you. But once they start looking at the real sort of ones that are worth doing, like the TCL 55R617, got a lot of built-in features, decent screen on it. And, you know, it's it's not going to blow you away, but it is 4x4x4, four by four by four, and it's 55 inches, which, I mean, for that price is bloody decent. But as they go down, they start getting into the, the, the more interesting ones, like the, the Vizio, which is just, you know, insane. It is 4K, 60 hertz, not a problem. Uh, it's got very low input lag for a monitor or a TV, and it's proper HDR. Uh, yes. I forget what 2, it was. 2,000 nits peak brightness. Yeah. And and I will say, uh, I've, I've kind of been looking at this TV a bit in the background. Uh, during Black Friday and some of the sales, it's going for 1500 bucks at Ooh. PQ65. How many uh, yeah. zones does it have for backlighting? Uh, you know, it's not any more than... I thought it was other. higher than last year's P-Series because it's like the more premium since it's the quantum dot. Yeah, it definitely is the more enhanced premium. Enhanced backlight. Yeah, but that's getting into buzzwords because it's not really quantum dot by some really. I mean, it's got the quantum dot layer, like the backlight layer. It does. And you may think $2,100 is a lot, but that HDR Asus, or was it Asus or Acer? Both. (laughs) Yeah. The the true HDR monitors for, you know, dedicated for desktop use are, came in at 2000 or more. Yeah. Yeah. so now in my case, I'm using those are, those are G-Sync though. Right? True, that's They're true. Variable. You're not going to get the adapt. Although some TVs have uh, Samsung FreeSync, has FreeSync. Right? Yeah, so there's an option there for AMD users. Uh, and, and in my case, I'm using a Sony 43 inch. Uh, it was the top line, top of the line at that price point uh, or that size. I mean, um, so it's it's usable because you can scale to 100 percent scaling for yeah. your resolution, and you can get some software tools. I recommend getting. Some sort of software tool that does like window management, so you can use keyboard shortcuts to like assign certain quadrants to yeah. certain things, and it's it's been fine. And I didn't intend to set out to do that. I <laughs> had this TV I was using for HDR testing. I brought it home. Our basement was in disarray. I needed to set up a workstation real quick, so I just started using it as a temporary thing, and it never went away because it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the only problem is the sizes they that TechSpot recommended here: uh, sixty-five, fifty-five. I guess the forty-inch on the Samsung at the low end. Uh, I mean, I'm using the 43. 65 would be gigantic. 65 is too big. You got to have a big room. Yeah, because you got to be able to sit. And you got to sit back far enough back. And and I'm sitting pretty close to the 43, and it's 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 just this nice big encompassing experience. <laughs> but the problem is, uh, most manufacturers at the smaller sizes don't give you all the features. Yeah, it's not the highest quality panel. It's not the highest quality HDR. You're not going to get local dimming. Um, so you, you make sacrifices when you go smaller. Uh, so if, if you can, if you can sit back. Look at those bigger ones because even at the prices, you know, like this, this TCL mid-range one is not six hundred thirty dollars. Yeah. You're gonna be hard pressed to find a good 4K monitor at that price. Yeah, I mean, yeah, without sacrificing a bunch of things. Yeah. So something to consider for for your displays. All right. Next up, we got Ken back from Hawaii. Please, please place the graphic again. You know, I do watch the podcast when I'm not on it, right? I thought that was very flattering. 
Just yeah, the sunglasses worked with the hair. I, I had long flights. I had to do something. <laughs> I had to see what you guys were up to. Well, you're back. You had a good time. I take it. Yeah. No. Yeah. So very productive. A lot of information, like Snapdragon 8CX. Uh, so if you look back at last December, all coming down Snapdragon 835 for Windows PCs. It was kind of the first release in this long build up to. Windows running on ARM again. But this time, it's full Windows with emulation of x86 apps. Unless they're 64-bit. Unless they're 64-bit. There are a lot of caveats with that. Uh, Snapdragon 835 machines, base machines came out in probably first half of this year, I'd say. Two middling middling performance and reviews. The designs weren't great. The the couple of designs that came out weren't great. Kind of slow. You had issues with app emulation, where just there wasn't enough CPU horsepower to emulate apps efficiently when you needed to. Uh, Snapdragon 850 has just kind of been coming out in the last couple of months. I've had my hands on a Lenovo. It's the Lenovo Yoga C630 machine based on Snapdragon 850, which actually improved a lot of the issues. It's like a 30% speed boost coming from 835 to 850. Uh, the like physical form factor of the 850 machines is a lot is not a lot nicer. The that Yoga C630 machine is something that I would absolutely carry. Just feels like a normal Yoga product. Doesn't have any compromises. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, performance still isn't quite there, which is why Qualcomm is taking the wraps off of what they're calling Snapdragon 8CX, and this is a sort of second performance tier for the Windows on Snapdragon stuff. It isn't. Replacing Snapdragon 850, what is a is their larger, higher power option? Mm-hmm. So that some, they've been working on this uh, kind of in parallel with the other lower performance chips, and they're now ready to start uh, kind of launch it in 2019. It looks like it's probably going to be the second half of 2019 because we haven't really seen any machine announcements. But it's like it's a Snapdragon on crack. It's like you just you just unleash that design team, and this is what they come up with. So we're looking at the. Yeah. You, you give them a few more, you know, tens of watts of TDP to work with but it's, and, and it's power not. draw. It's a seven watt part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're talking about half a watt for yeah. handheld, two watts for some of their other things, yeah. and then you give them seven watts. It's not tens of watts more, Josh. <laughs> okay, but I'm I'm being. <laughs> it's an order of magnitude. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> not quite, but anyway. Yeah, all from half. Evan. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was being expressive. I got it. I got, I got excited about fine. the moment. It's fine. And I was there. Yeah. Tens of Watts. <laughs> Just let him express well, himself. Think of what they could do with tens of Watts. Oh, I mean, come well, on. Well, I'm, I'm thinking like 15 Watts yeah. is, is what, you know, like AMD and Intel typically do for, you know, a lower powered laptop. Yeah. You know, and the, the thin and light. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the CPU side, there's Cryo 495, which is a big little design. It isn't using the prime core stuff that we talked about, uh, that you guys talked about last week, where one of the high-performance cores can clock higher. It isn't doing any of that. It's a traditional big little design. Uh, it, there's 10 megs of total system cache, mm-hmm. which is a significant increase from the previous uh, generation. Now we get to their performance claims. So this is a slide this they, sh- they showed at the... Uh, event and that blue bar it 
labeled competitor 15 watt solution. This straight up said was an Intel i5 U series part. So a 15 watt part that you would find in Ultrabook, like an 8250U, which is a true quad core hyperthreaded processor, a pretty high performance part. And then they're comparing performance to the Snapdragon 8CX, but the Intel part is throttled to 7 watts. Mm-hmm. Which seems a bit weird to me. Their justification That's... was that the Qualcomm designs are only in fanless form factors and that they feel mm-hmm. that 7 watts is about as much as you can dissipate with the fanless, fanless form factor. However, if you look at a machine like the Surface Pro 6, which the Core i5 variant has no fan and it's a quad-core processor, it never hits 7 watts. It gets down to, we'll say, about 9 but that's still a healthy increase from seven. And mm-hmm. that's when it's really getting pegged. Uh, like if you look at the Anantec review of that machine, like they didn't really see much of a performance drop off over time and didn't really see it drop to single digit TDPs. Some other people found it, it does get down there a bit, but it just, this seems like a weird comparison and it's just performance, not in an application. It's, it seems very dubious. Yeah. The, the lovely, simple graphs with no scales. Yeah, the lovely, simple graphs. So, I mean, as always, wait for independent reviews and performance analysis. This this slide means absolutely nothing yeah. besides where they're kind of placing it in the market, like price and rough performance levels probably. Mm-hmm. But I, I do... But you know what the good thing is with Qualcomm in this part? What? Compare their modem to Intel's. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah. So if, if we scroll down a bit, uh, talk about the GPU. The GPU sees uh, twice uh, twice the performance of even Snapdragon 850. So it sees a really healthy healthy bump while maintaining what they're claiming as 60% greater power efficiency. A lot of cool stuff. Uh, the It has on the IO side, it can do dual 4K HDR displays. Which is important once you get into these more productivity-based machines. Uh, if it, it keep scrolling, uh, like Josh mentioned, it has a Snapdragon X24 modem, which is the modem portion of the Snapdragon 855 chip that we, that you guys talked about last week, supporting two gigabits LTE through seven carrier aggregation, mm-hmm. which is just insane. Kind of <laughs> That's five plus two, right? I believe so. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the limit is five and you can do like two on the other. On the five gigahertz LAA bands. Yeah. 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 So you're going to have cutting edge connectivity performance built into every one of these machines, which is yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. Like it's absolutely a game changer when you use one of these machines with LTE for a while. Like you don't get to ruin it see, with Windows baby. 10. <laughs> wah, wah. But it doesn't I mean, support the, either of the imaginary the end, new uh, 802.11s. Yeah, they they didn't. The spec sheet specifically didn't have 802.11 AX or AY support on there. I have to imagine it will support AX in some of these notebook or in some of these designs that we'll eventually see in 2019. How programmable are their modems? I'm I'm kind of curious. I don't I don't think they're super programmable. I think the AX and AY support would come on the RF front end side more than anything. Okay. I think it'll have the radios mm-hmm. just whether or not it has the other componentry. But I, I think that'll be an option that vendors will be able to take advantage of. They're just not going to promise it kind of across the board. Sure. Yeah. All that stuff is just PFM to me. I yeah. mean, seriously, yeah. you know, Isera and all their modem guys, I mean, we, we've kind of poo-pooed them in the past because it's the, it's the word modem 
<laughs> I mean, we're, we think 56K or, you know, 128 or what, you know, all those, you Double know, shotgun barrel. modems back in the past. But it's a big deal. And when you're starting to look at, at fabrication and uh, analog performance and RF stuff, it's it's incredible. It is not any simple. Of it works. It is it is it is amazing. Yeah, that we get what we do in the form factors that we do with the antenna sizes that we have. I mean, yeah. it's absolutely it's black magic. Yeah. So you might have to hold it correctly. I, I don't even care. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> Give me two gigabits from the air, and I'm hey, you know what? I got a stick. Yeah. I don't have to hold it. You got to share it with okay. everyone else. In, in how many yeah. locations? Oh, gonna, virtually none, right. but, like, you know. We're not going to get that out here in suburban Cincinnati yeah. down in Kentucky. Yeah, that's true. But, whatever. But, but when you go to the Snapdragon Summit next year. Yeah. So. Uh, one of the, uh, scroll back up. One of the things that Alan will very much appreciate here is the connectivity side. So they have eight-channel LPDDR4X support, which should perform, should provide some healthy benefits. But the thing I'm most excited about is... They have four lanes of PCI Express 3.0, so you could hook up a real storage device. Mm -hmm. Instead of depending on the built-in UFS 3.0 storage controller, like we've seen all these machines do, you can add a real SSD. Now, one of the qualms I have is that if you think about a 7-watt SOC in a passive machine... If you and add the SSD a, if, draws like six watts. Yeah, if you add a six watt, you're probably not going to add a six watt NVMe SSD in there. So you're probably going to see some of the lower performing, maybe by two designs in these machines, at least in the majority of them. Actually, is it going to have to install a small little heater to keep the uh, SSD up to proper temperature too? No, yeah. no, it won't. Here's, here's, what, <laughs> here's another thing that gets me though: uh, PCI Express 3.0, one lane of that is a decent amount of power draw. Yeah. Like, and this is claiming four lanes at 3.0 speeds. Like yeah. that itself could be like, it depends on the phi and how, like how they're making it. But that could be like a half a watt. Yeah. Just by itself on each end. Right. Of Like that's just how much power you consume to move that yeah. much data that quickly. Right. It'll be interesting to see if kind of the seven watt power they're talking about include something like that or if that's kind of an extra on top we have to build more cooling system if you want to do something like that right that's but, what i'm wondering like yeah. or if they would just it maybe it can go that fast but in practice you just would not run it at 3.0 speeds or not four lanes yeah or not four lanes yeah. or both I, I, right? I would maybe expect to see some of these two lane ssd controllers in these machines if i had to take a guess yeah or something like the kind of like samsung entire ssd on a package that the surface Oh, uh, yeah. The, uh, what does they aren't great performance, but they're sure shit better than UFS, especially in random performance. That was like, <laughs> a, that was like the 981 or some. No, no, which. it was way more obscure. It was a than weird that. number. Yeah. yeah. Maybe something along those lines. You're probably not going to see a 970 Evo class SSD in one of these machines. Although, it would be cool. Yeah, I mean, you could. Maybe but... Qualcomm will package it with an Optane drive. <laughs> oh. You know? I don't think that'll happen. I'm oh, going to really? put my foot okay. down. I don't think that'll <laughs> okay. be a thing. Can always wishful thinking. Uh, any other points you want to hit here? Uh, so they talked a lot about software compatibility. Jeremy will be excited to hear that Windows 10 Enterprise support is coming to ARM in 2019. Hooray. So you could actually start to deploy some of these. And Another the, device to support. Yeah. The CIO of Qualcomm actually got on stage and talked about how they're doing device trials based on this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
giving them to engineers, giving them to PR, giving them to marketing people to kind yep. of see how they interact in, in an enterprise environment, which should provide some decent feedback to them in the future of developing these uh, an platforms. average of a month and a half or two months before it gets returned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but kind of building on the software momentum, what, like we said this year you could do at the beginning of this year, you could do arm 32 applications and emulated x86 32 applications. Uh, Microsoft this year has added support for 64 bit arm applications. They yeah. have a compiler for that now. That's not exclusive to the HCX though. No, no, no. Yeah. You can't, you still can't, emulate x64 applications mm-hmm. uh, written for an x86 architecture but uh there, there's there's some app momentum like if you scroll up they have a lo- bunch of logos here dropbox is on there vlc is on there oh hulu and netflix <laughs> yeah minecraft yeah. Hulu. norton <laughs> oh dear where's skype <laughs> skype's skype? on there skype's on there all right but I, I think it's Dropbox the, is, I, I it's need to the update something Skype weekly. Yeah. And so Skype is, is my, it's my go-to. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but beyond that. Oh, access. Oh, That'll man. Brilliantly. Eh, yeah. Uh, last week, they announced, Microsoft announced the move of Edge to the Chromium rendering engine. So, hmm, oddly enough, there will now be a ARM port of Chromium available. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they also announced native Firefox ARM64 will be All shipping right. soon. So, there's a lot of stuff. It's an exciting platform. Kind of, they're doing their best to push Intel in the rear end and try to get them to innovate on some of this stuff, like modem technology and, and notebooks. Yeah. But it'll be interesting. All right. Well, jumping right in to just continue on with that Chromium mention, <laughs> the next story is after some rumors and speculation, Microsoft is taking its beleaguered. Web browser to the Chromium-based rendering engine. Oh, you mean their Chrome installer? Yes. Well, that's the unfortunate truth is every time they cite usage statistics, you automatically think 85% or more of that is just using it to go to download Chrome. Can't even do that very well. And, ho- and hopefully you're not searching for Chrome via Bing because no. you'd be led to a malware installer. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, what do you guys think about this? The word inevitable comes to mind. Yeah, why not? Well, as bad as Edge HTML, the rendering engine, is, at least it was another option that's not WebKit yeah. or uh, what do they call the Firefox one? Oh, uh, Gecko. 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 Yeah. Now, yeah. there's nothing, right? Like, there's yeah. even less option out there. There's so if, if Opera. No, no, Opera Opera's moved to WebKit. WebKit. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, they uh, gave up like two you years got ago. Two choices. So now, like, if you look at things like adding DRM into HTML5, which was a thing that a lot of people pushed back on for a long time, but is now in there. Like, there are very few people who can make those decisions now, and they can just kind of push stuff in. Yeah, I mean, well, I've heard, I've again, heard. not that anyone should have used Edge, and that Edge had a yeah. good rendering system, but and they they time for links to make a comeback. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I've heard I've heard pros and cons to the or arguments in favor and against for this. You know, if we can get to a standard where you know a site's going to look the same, it's going to render the same, it's yeah. going to be a compliant thing. That's that's one thing. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it is an interesting issue of it's an open source project. It's mm-hmm. not Chrome for those who aren't aware. This is Chromium, which Chrome is based upon. So you don't have to take the Google, Google stuff with this. Yeah. Um, and this will also have the 
side effect, hopefully, of Im- improving Chrome support in Windows on ARM. Yeah. I mean, yeah. get the Chrome extensions. If they're going to be building mm-hmm. in support for it anyway, they they, they lose that excuse. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it's it, – it, we have to wait and see how this is going to pan out. I still don't know who's going to use Edge. Uh, businesses. Uh, I mean, yeah. SharePoint does be SharePoint Online does behave very well on Edge. Well, it does not. In uh, <laughs> any other browser, because uh, they seem to specifically sabotage the competitors for some strange reason. Mm. Not you know, Microsoft's had a history of uh, anti-competitiveness with web browsers. Nah, but there is one thing, and it's right there on the screen, which does kind of terrify me. Microsoft Edge will now be delivered and updated for all supported versions of Windows on a more frequent cadence. Yeah. Because we all really are in deeply in love with Windows updates right now. Well, I mean, you shouldn't well, you shouldn't have to tie your application updates to an OS update. Yeah, and I imagine what right. they mean is that it's I bet come you to they the will. Store. No, that's what they're saying is they're not going to anymore. <laughs> like you, they, I currently, hope you're right. they currently can't update Edge without like a, a service pack, essentially. Yeah. No, it'll probably, just be an application. Yeah, I mean, they'll they'll probably just do the updates like how they do the Windows Defender updates, right? They sort of come separate. Decent. They come, you know, they still come via Windows Update, but they come not necessarily in tandem with any major or even minor <laughs> Windows, you know, OS updates. But the catch there, though, is it's gonna you're gonna fall into this. You know, most people usually have their browser open, right? Yeah. So now it's not going to be able to do it's not going to be like chrome where it there's an update there it, well you don't know where the updates are going to be they might not be in windows update like office windows still store. Has, office still has an external app updater yeah yep. right yeah. well the the desktop version well if it's in oh, windows yeah. store can they have it in the store without you running into all those funky issues with like what space the app runs in and it's protected and you can't do these therein different... lies the raw bell well yeah. it's microsoft so yes yeah right well, like I mean, they, 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 they control even... this the app submittal process to the store so yes yeah like the like the linux distributions for bash on windows is are in the store now mm. so they could put whatever the hell they want in the store i just i just see there being potentially more hurdles over just the alternative browser I think your browser should be able to be updated more than every six months. Yes. This <laughs> is where I'm at. But they also have to show the ability to make the right improvements because they've improved Edge since launch, but it's still nowhere near yeah. where it, it should be at sure. this point of its life. But, well, uh, so that, that'll be, it's not going to be one massive shift. They say they're going to be rolling out changes over the next year or so, and it's going to be a replacement for what you're running currently on your system as the Edge browser, whether you use it or not. So just uh, stay tuned for more on that as they, they start to roll that stuff out. I do want to break, though. We have some pledges. Oh, no, not pledges. Where's the paddle? <laughs> uh, Darth Malventano. Unfortunately, I think it got cut off because there's a character limit in that. So he says, all behold, as we sacrifice Jim on the altar of... And then it ends. That's <laughs> a perfect ending. So hopefully it was a good altar. If it was a cult or something, it was one of the fun ones. But Slanish, uh, maybe. We got that. And then, of course, we have a, a, a special announcement here, uh, a new pledge from a message that was given to us that Intel hired Ryan for his seven nanometers. All right. Seven nanometers <laughs> of steel. So thank you both uh, for the pledge. Appreciate it. Uh, you can delete the pledge. He was in the pool. <laughs> 
All right. Um, uh, next up, we've got a an update on an interesting little tweak to the 10 series GTX line. For some reason, we God, got so a, many, so many skews. I know. So <laughs> MSI's out with a new 1060 six gigabyte card based on GP 104. It's a cut down 104, not a 106. Oh, so good. A, a third GTX yeah. six, 1060 shader count. But does match yes. the specs of what a 1060 would have in terms of the shading units. And oh, really? Stuff. A 3 gig or a 6 gig? A 6 gig, I'd A imagine. 6 gig. Um, but it's, and it's running, instead of GDDR5X, it's running GD, GDDR6. I'm sorry. What did I say? Instead of 5, it's 5X. Instead of 5, <laughs> it's 5X. Yes. Not GDDR6 would be fucking yeah, not, impressive. <laughs> got confused there with the uh, 1060. Yeah. Uh, so... A different memory than the standard spec, a different base platform or different uh, part at the core, but cut down to the right pro- uh, performance levels. Okay. I don't know. Uh, Is this going to be available in the U.S. market? Uh, they gave prices in U.S. dollars. Oh, okay. So I know some of these unusual cards have been like China Yamo only be there. or... <laughs> Yamo be uh, there. Yeah. Uh, we also but saw. Come the, on, you guys know the song. Yeah, we're just ignoring it. Yeah, it's going to be. The, look at those SLI connectors. You were, you were saying we also saw what now? <laughs> I also saw somebody. I think it was Zotac, maybe list a 1070 with G5X. Hmm. So I don't know. They're Somebody's doing whatever parts, parts they have left yeah. together. I guess they've, they've got components. They need to put this stuff on the market. So yeah. So it uh, looks like I said about two hundred seventy-five dollars for the MSI GTX 1060 Armor. 6G D5X. You know what's good about that? Yes, Josh. What is good about that? It's it's, it's less than tree fitty. It is. All right. That's an excellent <laughs> point. Uh, next up, um, moving beyond the Pascal architecture to the ray tracing capable G- G- GPUs, uh, 3D Mark, uh, venerable 3D Mark, which has been around forever, is updating its 3D Mark. Uh, I get, they used to call it, this version of the software was 3D Mark 2013, because that's when it first launched, to distinguish well, it from no. the old. This this version? No. Yeah. Wasn't it 2013? No, I think they've always called this one just 3D Mark. I don't remember when it launched. Uh, I think it was, was, I thought initially there was 3D Mark. And well, there it was wasn't, a 3D it wasn't Mark 2013. A, it, it wasn't official, but I thought it was this, this ba- at least this base core. Well, whatever. But Maybe. It's their 3D Mark that's the current one that they've just been tacking on additional core features to, additional tests to. And the latest test that's going to be coming out uh, next month on January 8th is Port Royal. And that's a ray tracing uh, benchmark. Uh, UL's calling it uh, the world's first dedicated real-time ray tracing benchmark for gamers. And, it's, and look how shiny it is. And it is it still uh, looks the same on my 1080, though. <laughs> yes, the, the video plays the same on all configurations, surprisingly. Um, so you'll be able to – we haven't – Got our hands on this, obviously, yet, so we'll, we'll be able to take a look and see how, how it looks in terms of providing some usable performance data for the very limited set of cards out there that support ray tracing right now. Approximately all three of them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it, it's, they, they said they worked with Microsoft, uh, AMD, and NVIDIA to provide uh, you know, open standards for DirectX uh, ray tracing, so it's not just going to be RTX stuff. Uh, so as new cards come out using ray, uh, approaching ray tracing with different, different technologies, different approaches, uh, they'll be able to – Hopefully, you compare them somewhat reasonably through something like this. It's 
if you're an existing, they've got different tiers for 3D Mark. So you can go and download yeah. the free version, which is a limited set of benchmarks. If you have the $30 advanced edition and you own it now, you can add this to your package for 3 bucks when it launches. Well, in January. In January. Yeah. January 8th. Uh, and, and, uh, and then going forward, if you don't own it and you buy starting January 8th, you buy that advanced package, it comes with it. So that's, that's not a terrible upgrade price, I guess. And Yeah, I don't know why anyone who doesn't do what we do would buy a benchmark really but yeah i guess if you just want to watch the scene and, and if you want to buy it's one of the few ray tracing applications that will be out by that time that's yeah <laughs> and because that was you know when we it's were looking at battlefield right when we were looking at True. battlefield 5 we're trying to benchmark it we're trying to figure out how do you how do you benchmark something that's inconsistent with every run because of its very nature in terms of what it's yeah reflecting through the ray tracing so something like this would be I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming this will be consistent every run. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, I would imagine, will also run on non-Turing GPUs because Microsoft DXR has a fallback layer where it yeah. will do it in GP, GPU compute. Mm-hmm. It won't run very well, I would imagine. But, but that would be an interesting. A new point of comparison for cards is how well they can emulate, or not emulate, but n- not compute via non-dedicated ray tracing Right. Yeah. All right. I'm still waiting for the Josh Tech version. Oh dear. We don't so imagine the rays. The Josh Tech so shiny. Vaporware. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up, we've got a story about uh, well, something related to some of the speculative execution exploits that we've had. Uh, why don't you tell us about this, Jeremy? Well, I mean, there's good news and there's bad news. And I'll start with the bad news first, which is we've got yet another variant of a Spectre vulnerability. Uh, The good news is that it's already covered by a lot of the patches that have been put out already. So it's not something to be scared about uh, unless you've refused to patch. What is interesting is it was proof of concept uh, for a team of researchers uh, teamed up between IBM and Northeastern University for creating an automatic bug finding tool called speculator. The idea (laughs) being here that it is obscenely hard to go into the level of hardware analysis you need to, to be able to spot stuff coming off of predictive branches and such, especially when strangely enough, AMD, Intel and ARM don't want to share their exact complete design notes with everyone. It seems very strange, but yeah, you know, that's sort of what they've done. So they've programmed something that just ran, completely goes through trying to find different ways of exploiting the various branch production problems that we've been having. And like, there's a very high-level uh, look into what the tool does if you follow the links through. And it, it's going to find more than just the Spectre and Meltdowns as they continue to use it, but it's just really nice to have some, a team out there that's searching every single piece of microarchitecture for flaws. Whereas before we kind of had to hope that someone stumbled on it, that was honest enough to tell people. And with the added level of it, they stumbled upon it. They were honest enough to tell the company and the company decided that they didn't really want to share it with anybody. And, you know, they were given a six-month timetable to share it or it was going to go public, and six months goes by, and strangely enough, it has to go public. So it, it's going to be, I think, overall a very good tool to increase uh, the amount of security that we've got 
on our processors in the coming years with the new architectural designs coming out. I hope. Yeah. Well, the more people taking a crack at this, the better. Yeah. All right. Uh, some more AMD news. This time is a, uh, you wouldn't call it a leak if it's pulled from actual trademark filings, but, uh, AMD has the potential they, they filed a new trademark uh, graphic and it's potentially for the new Vegas, right? Sebastian. Right. Well, it, it is essentially the Vega logo. So that's not much of a leap, but then we look at it and there's all sorts of speculation because are those two stripes now on the, the sort of cutout spots on the right hand side of this, are those indicating the Roman numeral two? Is it, seven because vii is seven so this is either vega 2 or is it perhaps the move to seven nanometer on the vega architecture which is interesting so pre-navi seven nanometer vega it's all speculation of course at this point but it is uh fun to speculate it's it's speculation but it's clever and maybe they just, like maybe clever. this was just a crossover with uh, Adidas. You yeah. know, videocards.com <laughs> yeah. had a funny post on Twitter, and they're like, this is just the AMDidas uh, <laughs> nice. logo. So who knows? Maybe it's a special shoe coming mm-hmm. in 2019. Whoever designed this logo was being either being very clever with the whole seven thing or not clever enough. <laughs> Right, yeah. it's Vega Two. Needs to have more They're, gold. If it's Vega Two, and they see this speculation about Vega Seven naming, they think, "Oh, damn, that's a real good idea. We should have done that." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wish I'd been commissioned for this job because I could have taken the the graphic and then you know, like, I'll just erase this and erase this. All right, that'll be forty thousand dollars. No, mm-hmm. but it's the meetings that you have to attend to get uh, to that point, yeah. Sebastian. That's where, that's where the real value is. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. Well, we'll know uh, soon enough what this. No, uh... uh, it was just someone coming in and saying that you know you can save a lot of money by using less black black ink. Yeah, that's take true. Some of the stripes out of the logo. <laughs> They're planning to sell a lot of these cards. Speed holes. Um, all right. Next, we got some news that made Alan all excited. Yeah, and like nobody else seems excited. It's pretty exciting. I'm like so I'm... excited because low latency is awesome with. Non-volatile RAM. Well, yes, yes, but the the the, the issue is that, that they kind of sort of buried this within the architecture day from Intel uh, because they were really trying to cover other things. But it sounded like maybe this was just a good time for them to stick this little tidbit of info in there. Um, we all know storage is very important, Alan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So remember, remember when they? Uh, oh yeah, I think that was a note or something. Um, Pepperidge Farm remembers. Remember when Crosspoint, 3D Crosspoint memory launched like two or three years back now, mm-hmm. and they promised all these grandiose sounding things, like it's going to be a thousand times faster than Flash. And and then, like... The one I remember was, it's bridging the uh, latency gap between DRAM and L3 cache. Like, yeah, okay, I believe that. Uh, I don't think it was supposed to go that far. Oh, it was one of the new uh, magic things. It wasn't the one that was produced. Right. I don't, but I don't think the promise up. was that it was supposed to be like, you know, faster than DRAM or something like that. But the point was it was supposed to be closer to DRAM than it was to NAND, basically. Uh, problem was the reality of installing that media on a NVMe PCI Express device turned into, you know, you had NAND devices 
going about 100 microseconds latency, and then Optane SSDs came out, and they went around 10 microseconds. So it was only a 10x improvement when the media, like the promise of the media's capabilities was 100 times faster than that. Um, so uh, fast forward to the little tidbit of info they added into this thing. Uh, turns out if you put those 3D crosspoint dies onto a dim form factor, uh, they are able to access them at 350 nanoseconds. And to put that into perspective, DRAM usually runs at around 70 nanoseconds. And Optane Memory ran at 10,000 nanoseconds. So you're dropping this all the way from 10,000 down to 350. And all you're changing is the, 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 way, that you're, the way that you're connecting, yeah, the interface, the way you're connecting those memory chips to the rest of the system, right? Um, and that actually fills the last hole. Uh, it's like I completed bingo on, on my chart here. Uh, it fills the last gap that there was on my... So essentially uh, it's within arm's reach, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that bright purple there, uh, it's not on the, it's not on the uh, legend because I just kind of like penciled it in since we don't have actual test numbers to go on here. But uh, bright purple there is Optane in dim form compared to Optane in PCR Express form. Did you add these arrows after the fact? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, you did, if you were edited this in, that you did a real nice job taking the purple under the, uh, the blue and the green there. <laughs> well, you know, I aim to please. Um, <laughs> Do you? <laughs> it's the little things. <laughs> so so I, I drew those two side-to-side uh, lines there to, tr- to try to show something, and that's where if you had DRAM, but you made it into a RAM disk, Right there's extra layers of things that have to happen within the system to talk to it as if it's a storage device, right? All the interrupt request type things, setting up the I/O, setting up the transfer, DMA, all these things that have to happen, right? Those take extra time, and there's extra overhead, and then there's the interface itself. And so, even if you made a RAM disk, that was the fastest RAM disk software I could find. I tested like 20 of them just to make that line on that chart, right? I was like, what's the fastest one? Uh, and I got that green line there. So just by making a RAM disk of DRAM, you lose more than an order of magnitude worth of latency. Just to all those extra hops that the kernel has to make and everything else. And uh, for the record, this is user mode RAM disk, not kernel mode. This was a kernel driver RAM disk. Yep. Mm-hmm. But you still had to access it as if it was a regular storage device. Right. So meaning you had to go through user land to get to... Oh, okay. The RAM disk, even it's, if the RAM disk itself was a kernel module, right? Right. You still have to make all those hops, right? Yeah, it's doing a um, block device simulation. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's the same kind of thing, sort of, when you go between this you know, NVMe PCI Express thing. You have to make all those hops. So naturally, it's slower than the Optane DIMM form factor, which is direct connected to the CPU. Now, granted, you have to do some things differently. Like, notice they worded their their release very carefully. They're saying when applications access this device or, or if this, or if this device is caching DRAM, it can be either, or I think if it was caching DRAM, there might be like a little bit more latency because you're going through some Intel software that basically combines the, the Optane in DIM four factor with the DRAM and makes it like you have suddenly now you appear to have more DRAM than you did. It's almost like a, like, you know, 
a 970 Evo, but for DRAM and Optane. Same kind of thing. Right? You'd have your, your DRAM would be the cache for the Optane DIM, mm-hmm. which was the bigger bulk storage, right? Um, so just, you know, interesting to see those differences, uh, you know, between when you go from A to B there uh, and you remove all the extra layers you have to go through, all the cruft you have to go through to get, uh, you know, just to the raw storage media. Do you, do you know what the, the sexiest part of this entire graph is? <clears throat> what? The zip disk? No, the three and a half inch floppy takes almost one second in accesses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can just hear that in your mind. <laughs> yeah. That's that's literally what that is. And like the in notice it's an S curve because I, I was doing random reads, random four K reads to a freaking floppy disk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also as we've as we've I was hoping to make this when I, back when I made this was chart. This? I was combing through my basement, like, all right, what do I got? I got a zip drive, okay, like, CD. How do you do random reads from a CD? You have to have something on it. So I had to, like, manually place the image file on the CD in order to do the random reads from. Because mm-hmm. it's not like I was going to do, you know, random writes or something like that to that thing, you know. The hard drives yeah, were easy. Was it using a 72X CD-ROM drive? Uh, it, was, it was like a Plexter, like a fast, you know. Oh, okay. Like your typical X fifty two X, yeah, yeah. It was like God, a decent... where's the Benuli drive? Yeah, Come on. sorry, sorry. <laughs> no jazz drive, no Benuli drive. Can we get a word drive? It's there, but you got to scroll over to the right a lot. What is what is pretty interesting uh, there is that the early. So if you were in on this SSD thing early, and you're one of those people that were like early adopter, and and then even then you were like, oh my god, this is so much faster than the hard disk, right? That was that dashed gray line, not the solid gray line. It was like the early SATA SSDs were on the order of a millisecond or two access time. They weren't great. I'm talking about like, you know, 32 gig Samsung SSD way back when, that sort of thing, right? But just that single order of magnitude over the hard disks Mm -hmm. was just such an enormous difference back then, right? That was like back when... You know, now we're almost at the point of diminishing returns, right? So if you were just running some application and you had this Optane DIM somehow behaving as if it was like a regular storage device, even if that's possible, I'm not sure. The system's still going to be almost the same, like application launch speeds as if you had a PCI Express Optane device. Like once you get that far left on that chart, the bottleneck starts shifting to other places in the machine because you're just going too too dang fast, right? As a matter of fact, there's some, there's some, uh, you know, like a 970 Pro is actually pretty close to uh, an Optane SSD in like application launches, and that's still even like an order of magnitude between each other on that chart there. But still, you're so far to the left, right? So those your best gains happened way back when when you were trying to climb your way away from those just you know insanely slow hard disks, at least compared to you know what we have now, right? But yeah, I mean, it used to be, there used to be nothing in the middle. That there used to be this void between hard disks and DRAM. That was, I think, a hundred thousand X of a cap. Wow! <laughs> it used to be so painful, right? And I, I too lived through the '90s, and it was it was unpleasant at times. 
yeah, times. Yeah. And and the block storage kind of like access all the steps the kernel has to take, DMA and interrupt requests and all that stuff, that's all based on, hey, I asked something from a hard disk. I can go 100,000 times faster. I might as well set this up in such a way where I can go off and do some other stuff, right? So that's where all that extra overhead came from. It was something where at that time, it was, it, the overhead was insignificant compared to how long the hard disk was going to take basically eons compared to like what the rest of the system could do right Mm -hmm. yeah uh we're still using most of those methods like yes there's nvme and that's a little faster and stuff still sets up interrupts Mm -hmm. still does dma still does all these so i mean an optane dim isn't going to be addressed like a block storage device it's not you you could do it you would have to make a layer so i mean you're cutting out a lot of that latency like if you look at between the ram disk and the optane dim like that that's that's system overhead essentially. There's that, right. and then remember, this is just doing 4K random. So there's going to be other advantages of an Optane DIM, like when you this is at being accessed just like DRAM is accessed, meaning you go to do one write from it, it doesn't turn around in 350 uh, nanoseconds with four kilobytes of data. It turns around, uh, well, not so 4K. Sorry, 4K is actually taking some time to go across. PCIe, right? This is able to do every 350 nanoseconds. It's doing at least uh, 64 bytes, right? It's basically at DRAM speed. Yeah. And it probably supports Mm. the same kind of protocols like for doing sequential transfers like DRAM does, where once you started the first transfer, you just keep clocking. You just keep getting more from it. It's not going to go DRAM speed clocking, but it's going to be pretty darn quick, I would imagine. So point being, you're not going to be limited to like, you know, Optane PCI Express, two gigabytes per second control limits, things like that. No, you're going to have throughputs probably closer to DRAM speeds, Mm. which is, you know, I mean, you're talking what? What's like your typical DRAM, like modern day throughputs? I mean, it's it's up there, right? You're talking tens of gigabytes per second. Easily, right? but this won't be coming to your enthusiast desktop mm-hmm. anytime soon. No, that's the other. That's the other Probably. part of this. Uh, I mean, you might eventually see some form of this down the line, as far as like you know, they might somehow integrate this. Maybe with that Intel 3D packaging and stuff, they might take a die or two of this and put it on like a mobile system, hmm. right? And then you have like you know a die or two of uh, of QLC NAND combined with like one die of this stuff, but not having to go via PCI Express, just connected as if it was I mean, you, you would never put NAND on a die because it takes up too much space and doesn't need the... doesn't need, like, it's well, already if, if you were trying enough. to really... I'm talking, like, you know, years down the road where you're trying to really push the whole system on a chip thing. Yeah, but there's right? no advantage putting NAND on a processor die. Yeah. Right, I mean, like, you can... It's, yeah. it's slow enough that you can access it across the bus and with no hit. You're right. 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 You, could, you could have it outside. There's Optane, absolutely. Like, you could definitely see a benefit the, there. Uh, the Optane, yeah. If you had it just, you know, it, it could behave as if it was, I don't know what the right way to say that would be, kind of like a level 5 cache. Well, right? It, if you consider the DRAM a level 4. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. They, they were talking, didn't Intel say you know, when they were starting to bring out the DIM stuff, or at least talking about it, that the 
the Optane DIM was going to be slower than DRAM. Yeah. But it would be cheaper. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cheaper. You can't hammer on it indefinitely like you can DRAM. Mm. You know, it's, there still is a limit. Like, it has wear. That sort of thing. Uh, which is the other part of this. I'm not sure if it's, like, managed at the DIM level or if the host has to manage it. Because you do have to do wear leveling of uh, this media. I think it's the host. I think the platform's going to be aware enough. Yeah. And yeah. especially since the Apple... This is, this is probably more akin to, like, shingled magnetic recording hard disks where you're relying on the platform to be aware of, hey, there's this thing. You have to write to it in a different way than you normally write to things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Right. But, but shingles is painful, so yeah. let's, let's well, just avoid yeah. that altogether. <laughs> it may last a while, but it hurts. Yeah, but where, where I'm going with that thought of, like, potentially put a die of this, like, you know, connected, like, on the processor package and things like that. I'm talking down the road where your OS is finally like aware enough of being able to take advantage of something like this where you have some sort of boot image just sitting in there. But right? It, it's part of JDEC already, isn't it? I mean, it's there, but you have to wait. Like Operating systems have to take actual advantage oh, yeah. of, of what this could be. Right? Like, back when Optane launched, or back when 3D Crossplane launched, like, I was saying, like, if this came out 20 years ago, OSs today would not work the same as far as their storage went. Right. You would have, like, some sort of image that was just laid down in there, and you would, it, would just, it would just begin executing from boot. Instead of, <laughs> right, because you, you don't need to load stuff into memory. Like, this stuff right. is almost as fast as DRAM. So you could just, as soon as you turn your computer on, it's, like, better than instant on. Mm. Because it just immediately starts running it right from the Optane. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know. I've done weird, weird chain bootloader stuff, and yeah, thunking the image over to memory makes things hold much faster over the runtime. But yeah, it, it it only takes like two seconds to copy the image over. That's true. That's it. That's also true. Yeah, it's just there's lots of things you can do differently if you have something that's going that fast, but it's also persistent. Right. True. You know, huh. you can shut like your computer completely off. You could. You could <laughs> <laughs> All right, we get the yeah, I mean, can we move on? Yeah. Yeah, Seriously. So, it is like it is two hours almost. Yeah. Ah, so no, that, that'll gosh, be coming to an hour and 40 enterprise environments and hopefully at some point trickle down. Eventually some form of, of it will trickle down. Nature. We have we have a conclusion to the thrilling cliffhanger earlier with the uh, Patreon pledge. Switchman1A oh. in the chat who apparently made the pledge. Oh. Uh, enlightened us with its conclusion, which I will perform now <laughs> using this Ikea coffee mug for my uh, Darth Vader impression. Oh, behold, Jim, as we sacrifice him on the altar of bits. Bits. Huh? Bits? Huh? Okay. Yes, it was bits. That was, good. Well, that the altar of that was a nice bit. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. The breathing was good. <laughs> breathing in that I, mug. I await the Cease and desist from Disney's attorneys. <laughs> already in the mail. It's already happening. Our, our last story is a, is a quick one, but one I'm excited about, as I'm sure Jeremy is. It is uh, the announcement of a new game uh, from the Obsidian team, The Outer Worlds. Oh, I missed this. Why don't you tell us about this, Jeremy? Uh, well, I mean, the headline does kind of describe it. It's like Skyrim with guns in space, with Firefly meets a Borderlands feel. So this worries me because they're (laughs) trying to do all too much all at once. And as we know, Obsidian can have some interesting side effects. 
but it does look kind of interesting. Is... Uh, oh, great. <laughs> How do you just, just a couple more seconds. I'm going to be happy people. people. You know what I'm saying? You can skip the I'm going to wipe that white <laughs> stuff off my chin. <laughs> you clicked on the wrong. No, I clicked on skip ad and it oh, There you go. New tab. Shame on you, rock, paper, shotgun. That's great. Seriously, I, you're, you're going on the ad block list. All right. <laughs> That's that's bad behavior. So here we go. Now you can see the the trail. I'm sure. Go ahead, Jeremy. So I mean, you get you sort of get the uh, semi Borderlands feel. They're not going for photorealism in any way, shape, or form. And the idea is that you sort of wake up from hibernation in a colonist ship that's been sitting somewhere for God only knows how long because no one could be bothered to pay to revive anyone. And <laughs> they dump you into the middle of a, a living world of some. You know, it, it. I hope this works out well. Obsidian hasn't done anything impressive in a long while. Uh, Look, it's, it's up to and including their dialogue. Another world. Yeah. Is there a lighthouse so, and a girl? Yeah. So sort okay, of a, a sci-fi Western feel first-person shooter could be interesting. It could go horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Well, they got that Microsoft money now, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but this has obviously been under production. <laughs> yeah, but um, Microsoft is at a point where they want to ensure everything that they announce through their studios is going to be as. Ex- I, yeah, but I, I doubt Microsoft has a publishing deal for this. I don't. I don't know for sure. I haven't seen oh, this announcement, yeah. but this. Oh well, no. A deal that's this is actually done. the good bit of news. This is going to be published through two K. Okay. So it won't be friggin' Windows Store only locked in. Yeah, which is really good. Uh, I just like there's just so much going on in this trailer that it's telling me that I don't think the game going to look like this much. Really, it it seems like a lot of bolted together concepts that could be really cool, but would be very difficult to actually pull yeah. off. And, and simultaneous release on platforms and PC. That was an amazing disclaimer that just blew by. I'm sure there were some jokes uh, in there. It's, it's quite humorous. I mean, uh, some people are of the opinion that Obsidian made the best Fallout game. They did. Yeah. They both. Well, I think they did. Well, the yeah. best, the best first the f- person shooter. Right. Yeah, the, the yeah, best yeah, of the yeah, 3D yeah, ones. Yeah. yeah. Well, I so, believe that's do, a direct quote from my post. And do we have any type of release window for this? 2019. Just 2019. Okay. Well, or just, just 2019. Yeah. Nothing. Sure. More. Well, considering the current state of Fallout 76 and other yeah. similar efforts. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll give yeah. this a shot. I'll be excited to see how it comes together. But uh, all right, well, let's get jump into the picks of the week because we are going long here. Uh, first up is, uh, as Ken mentioned at the beginning of the show with that Radeon Pro review, is my pick, which is a Razer Core X Thunderbolt 3 external GPU enclosure. There are a ton of these. I bought this one because I was going to use it with my MacBook, and it supports the MacBook. It provides, it, it has enough, it's got a 650-watt power supply, so it can do Vega 64 slash do anything. Frontier Edition slash, yeah, pretty much. Uh, and it provides 100 watts power delivery, so more than adequate for the MacBook Pro, the 15-inch one, uh, anyway. And uh, uh, I did some tests on it. Uh, I tried Vega Frontier, air-cooled Vega Frontier Edition and that Radeon Pro card I threw in there, too. And, I mean, obviously no surprise, but it is... It's a huge boost over the top-end pre-Vega graphics MacBook Pro because I bought mine just before they came out with that little update to their system. So 
So I'm running Radeon Pro 560. Polaris. Yeah, Polaris. Um, and uh, huge improvement at, at pretty much anything you can think of, uh, even Final Cut Pro rendering and export times. Uh, yeah, I mean, say what you will about Mac OS. They, OpenCL slash now Metal, accelerate, accelerate the hell out of that operating system and now yeah. and their applications. Yeah. Like, it takes advantage of a GPU. And this one is, this Core X is super easy to install and use, and it's really modular on the inside. It's, it, you could even, you could take, I mean, I don't know if it's officially supported, but you'd probably be able to get one of those water-cooled cards with the 120-millimeter fan. Yeah, because you can. Would it fit in there? You might have to run it with the outer case off, but yeah. it would. The fan is modular. The power supply is modular. The Thunderbolt board is modular. It's a super clean, Make modular design. Really is like it an it. SFX power supply? What kind of power supply is it's, that? Thing? It's an SF, uh, SFX supply. Yep. Hmm. Uh, okay. it's, it's a modified one. It only it only has the output uh, it needs, so you don't have like extra cables hanging off. Of two there. eight pins and like a twenty four. Yeah, it's two eight pins, and then I don't know if it's twenty four, but it's something's going to the board. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, at three hundred dollars. It's right in line with most of these. In fact, it's a little cheaper than some of the ones from like Sonnet. And so far, so good. So something to check out if you're looking for that for your MacBook or uh, Thunderbolt three PC. Yeah, cool. All right, next up we've got uh, Jeremy with a uh, a deal on some fast NVMe storage. Yeah, have a black Christmas. I, for and honestly, and I'll paste in the U.S. link just so that those people can have it as well. Okay. But no, uh, the the new generation uh, WD Black NVMe, one terabyte, two hundred and fifty bucks with an extra ten percent off. Oh yeah, not too freaking bad. That's pretty good. Make sure you order the right one though. Make sure it says. Yeah. Oh, sure I was double checked. Western Digital WD Black, not yeah. the older one. Which was just Western Digital Black. I I know it sounds silly, but it wasn't me. I didn't. I'm not responsible for this. Alan, what did you do? And this if you're to south the of the border, it's two hundred bucks, which actually would probably come out to more than two hundred and fifty Canadian right now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the power of the exchange rate. All right, that's something to consider there. The Western Digital NVMe, Western Digital WD Black NVMe, mm-hmm. as Alan says. <laughs> Yep. All right. Uh, is this Josh? Me? LG. You know, this was on sale for like 179 bucks last week. But it's 29-inch, 2560 by 1080, which is okay. If you're doing gaming, I mean, if you're doing, you know, photo editing, not so good. But gaming, regular browsing, great monitor. 75 hertz, not exactly 120 or 144, but still better then 60. What is dynamic What's action What's the uh, free sync range on that one? Not great. <laughs> okay. It's like 45 to 75 and anything under That's... that it's 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 chunking bad. Yeah. At but, that price I wouldn't expect it to go lower than like 48, so. Yeah, but under 200 bucks and it's by not, one not cent. curved though. It's a flat, right? Yeah. Yeah. All That's right. okay. Yeah. A decent stand. Yeah, just mm-hmm. not great stand. Looks like a well-built monitor as opposed to a lot yeah. of the two hundred dollar displays. Yep, two hundred bucks. It's it's yeah. So that's the RG. LG twenty nine UM sixty nine G dash B. I'll just exactly. the top. all these companies got to get better naming schemes. All right, who's this one? The oh, this is Alan, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> could so, you guess? Uh, <laughs> I had a mouse that was fairly new. 
uh, I think just out of the warranty, actually. Well, of course. Of course. It's uh, a G900, right? Yeah. So, you know, a couple-year-old mouse. Um, the uh, Of course, the left-click button started to double bounce on me so that I was randomly double-clicking things, even if I was just pushing the button down <laughs> one time. <laughs> or if you pushed it down just right, it would sit there and just, like, click like it was just having, you know, a spasm or something. Um, so I was like, well, okay, let me find some switches. Started digging around. It took me a while to find this particular model of switch. Uh, turns out these are the versions of the Amaran switches that are rated to 50 million cycles, which a lot of people think is kind of a gimmick. But it's like, it's the highest rating. If you look at the way these switches are rated, they're the ones that are rated lower, the lower they are, the higher the current they're rated to switch, right? It's kind of like inverse proportion, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they're just in a mouse. They're just going to an input to a, you know, to an IC on a mouse. So the, the current is, you know, almost nothing that goes through this. So you can get away with making a switch that's actually rated for 50 million, whether or not it lasts that long. Who knows? But if you can get four of them for six bucks uh, and you're handy with the soldering iron, you know, n- no big deal. Just do that instead of buying another whole mouse for yeah. something as finicky as a, a switch that's just kind of like yeah. bouncing, right? Um, and if you don't know what bouncing means, it's like an electrical, electronic term for like a switch that's noisy, basically. Uh, also in the notes, though, I have a couple more links. There's another link for, uh, you know, if you're going to rip your mouse open, if you happen to look at the bottom of your mouse, even right now as you're listening to this, flip your mouse over, look at the bottom, there's probably no screw holes. Because the screw holes are underneath the pads. If you go ripping the pads off in order to get it open, to change the switches, it's probably time to replace the pads because they're not going to go on the, the way they came off. The glue's not going to hold. It's going to start catching on things. Just going to be, you know, it's just going to be bad, right? So, uh, you know, you might they're probably worn down anyway, so you might as well replace them. They're cheap, too. So for like 7 bucks, you can get a set of two pads for G900, as an example. I think they're even cheaper on eBay. I just happen to pick Amazon here. Um, until you do those two things, uh, there's a workaround. There's a program I've used for forever called X-Mouse Button Control. Oh boy! I always use it because I like I like the reversing uh, the uh, uh, no, X and Y. No, I like the I like the. It's similar though. I like the middle button or the scroll wheel to double click. It's just what I've just done it for like since I had an Intella mouse or whatever. But I don't like using the vendor software. So this is just a really simple thing that lets you remap buttons to other things, and you can. It's even application specific. It's just kind of handy, but. In the options for this, there's a debounce, like a software debounce option. You can set how long you want the duration to be, and you can kind of like even tune it or whatever. I just turned it on, and my mouse button works properly now. Like, you know, it has its limits, so if you hold it right at that threshold I was talking about, it might act a little bit weird. But like, just like, I haven't even noticed the issue while I was waiting for the switch and the mouse feed to show up. So it's getting me by. That's getting you I wonder if that uh, switch will fit my MX518. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an expensive mouse. I know it's ridiculous that the switch stopped working. Yeah. Well, and I we, mean, the poor damn thing probably did have the several million clicks on it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the mouse at home. Not even here. What's funny is I have like a, who knows how old that, like, you even know what series that is? It's on my desk. Is that like a G600 from back in the day? Or what, yeah. what did they call like yeah. their mid-range 
The original oh. IntelliPoint. No. No, 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 no. It was a Logitech, it was a Logitech mouse that had like the pattern, like you could feel the pattern in the, in the top it, of it. It's it like one like, of those yeah. iconic ones. Yeah, it was the one that was pretty popular. Never replaced anything in it. Still works just fine. It's not like I click my mouse here differently than I click my mouse at home. So when? clearly it was just a crappy switch that was in the, Maybe you do. In the G900 that costs probably three times as much as I paid yeah. for that other mouse that's on my desk. So, anyway. All right. Oh, it looks like a G400. Probably. Yeah, I don't know. It it's might have been a not three that something. old, but it could yeah. be. It, it, it's old. No, it's, it's his, his mouse is old. <laughs> it's old. It's probably like eight years old. Something like that. Oh, I was thinking like and 16, if you haven't hung up on years, Sebastian, you should you still have. have. Right. What? <laughs> How dare you? Right, well, I heard Sebastian in there somewhere. How so dare let's just, you? Let's just move on. No, to the, the MX. Hey, I, my Logitech MX 500 has been. I I retired it for a while. I brought it back out just to test some systems out with. That thing still works fine, and that's I bought that in like 2002. They don't make them like they used to. Yeah. yeah. No, the right click on my 518 registers maybe half the clicks the so right obviously button. the switch is dead yeah that's just or dying i've still got that dual optical gray mouse from logitech yeah. gaming mouse from like 2000 and before sad well, is that a rollerball mouse josh no 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 it's no but i still have some of those but they doubled they doubled the DPI by having two sensors in there, so it's yeah. a dual <laughs> optical mouse. Ooh, two DPI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, optical raid. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. No, I, I had one of those dual sensor mouse. I don't know if it was from might have been from SciTech, and uh, it would always get. Also, I have three cats. It would always get a hair caught in one of the sensors. Yeah, and it stops so, working. So, so you're moving oh, so your mouse around, and it locks horizontally. Ah, so raid zero, <laughs> not raid one. Got exactly. <laughs> that happens also with the single sensor one. It's the same thing. A little piece of fuzz in there, all of a sudden your mouse Twice the work. points of failure. It's, it's <laughs> death wish optical mice. Like, this is yep. the reason I moved away from the one with the ball in it. Why is this jamming? Oh, I miss picking the crud off it. What, you don't pick the crud out of trackballs? You yes, don't think so? It's disgusting. It's a trackball. Yeah. It's not the ball. It's it's the rollers inside. Yep. Yeah. Always the rollers. Oh, that's a bad visual. So true. <laughs> All right. Well, Sebastian's got one last pick for us. Uh, it is no, he doesn't. Something I do. truly I mean, I, I could just make this a like a vintage hardware of the week. And bit, just turn around but, in this You chair. know, we were talking a little bit before the podcast started. I don't want to leave people out who may have missed out on uh, the majesty that is Tech War. And, you know, I know not everybody <laughs> has a laser disc player. It's not really but, all that but, good. But the, the Tech War <laughs> movie, which I've never seen, is uh, not available on DVD, strangely. So if you want to watch the TV series, which exists for some reason, you can. And you can buy it on Amazon for just twenty four ninety eight. And hurry, there's only eight left in stock. So those by the end be, of this podcast, they may be gone. Those might be the last If you're listening to this on, on Monday, I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll have to find Tech War somewhere else. Uh, you can wow. get it for fourteen twenty nine if you're willing to have someone's used Tech War set. You don't want that. Oh, no. That's just what if it's the special features of this thing? 
Well, the special features is uh, white glaze on the disc. Yeah. Ooh. Had to go there. And William Shatner sings. And apparently uh, the complete Max Headroom is also bought alongside this package. Mm. But my real pick is right here in my hand. It's not something you can buy easily. It's from 1992 from a company called ATI. (laughs) Who now? It is the ATI Graphics Ultra. Oh, God. Wow. And as you can say, this card... 92? uh, Sold the VGA Legacy website here. It has the... What is this? The 38800-1 3D core. And it was... This one is paired with a 2D core. What's that? It's not 3D. What do you mean it's not 3D? Well, I mean, it's accelerated. It's accelerated. Yeah, it's accelerated. So, okay, it's 2D accelerated with a block and crap like that, sure, but not 3D. I mean... What's that extra chip for? This is the 2D core. This is the 2D It's got a whole other chip, Josh. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it's basically yeah. core stacking. That's what they're talking about now, right? Yeah. yeah. Intel finally got so, around to it. Essentially, it's the Voodoo 3. I mean, hey, it's it, the same it kind of layout. Pixel, it has Stop a it. pixel shader, Stop. Stop. and it has a ROP. <laughs> you're, you're exploding <laughs> Josh's <has> brain. <laughs> and it has, uh, let's see, 40 megabytes per second of uh, memory bandwidth on a 32-bit Sweet. bus. Now, this card, this is, I believe, the one megabyte variant. This retailed for $899. And I was still in high school. Wait, are you Money. sure it's not eight ninety nine? I paid like I paid like six hundred oh. bucks on a Diamond Stealth three D three thousand. Oh, told you, an actual three D card. Right. Don't be a three D snob. <laughs> this is historical. All right. Well. Be- <laughs> Before we wrap up today, we have one more Patreon, and in order to convey the emotion, I believe oh, no. that they they said this, and I'm going to have to yell, so you're going to want to watch the levels. Okay, I'm no. not going to hit you, <laughs> <laughs> but this was delivered in all caps, one word, all caps. So here we go. Alan is the man. What? Thank you for your pledge. I'm not. I'm not worthy. But thank you, but I'm not worthy. Oh, you're the man. Of, of you're a man. Of that. Why not? I'm why, not worthy of Jim being that excited. I'm just going to stay out of frame for the rest of the podcast, I think. I think no, no. no. <laughs> yes. Oh, he's going to fall. We're not insured for that. Watch out. Oh, this I like. Oh, no. You're wondering that people see the man behind the curtain. All right. Well, as Ken cowers away here, he's coming back. He's coming back. I can never leave you, Jim. That's the show, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. We record Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, and that's here at PCPro.com slash live. Catch our podcasts at uh, YouTube or Apple or anywhere podcasts are, are, are aggregated, and you can see them all on the website at uh, PCPro.com slash podcast. Stay in touch with us on Twitter, Twitter.com slash PCPer. And uh, that's it. Everyone have a great week. We will see you next week. Next week is uh, going to be the last show, I think, before the end of the year. Okay. The following week would be the day after Christmas, so we're we're not going to do a boxing show. <laughs> no, uh, so uh, I'll be, you know I think I'll be out of town unfortunately, and I think a lot of people will be out of town for the holidays. So so we'll we'll give you all give you all a break for the Christmas holiday, and then we'll be back uh, in the new year. But stay tuned again. That's two weeks from now. So next week we'll be right here, and we hope you join us. Thanks.